0: お疲れ様でした
1: Close friendship is one of the most powerful relationships a human can experience, and yet people really talk about what it takes to stay friends for the long haul. Animatu So and Ann Friedman, hosts of the long-running podcast Call Your Girlfriend, became friends right here in Washington. Now, a decade later, they reflect on their big friendship and what it takes to keep other close, to keep each other close during a pandemic and beyond. Animatu So is a writer, interviewer, and cultural commentator. Animatu, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much, Kodro.
1: <laughs> Anne Friedman is a journalist, essayist, and media entrepreneur. Anne Friedman, thank you for joining us.
2: Great to be with you.
1: As we mentioned, together, Anne and Aminatu host the long-running podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. Their book is called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. And I'm going to call on both of you, starting with you and... Um, If you can start off by reading the definition you wrote of Big Friendship.
2: Big Friendship is a bond of great strength, force, and significance that transcends life phases, geography, and emotional shifts. It is large in dimension, affecting most aspects of each person's life. It is full of meaning and resonance. Animatu. A big friendship is reciprocal,
0: with both parties feeling worthy of each other and willing to give of themselves in generous ways. A big friendship is active, hearty, and almost always a big friendship is mature. Its advanced age commands respect and predicts its ability to last far into the future.
1: Aminadu, what distinguishes a big friendship from a more typical friendship?
0: Um, You know, I think that when we talk about a big friendship, we are really talking about a friendship that is active currently. It is very much rooted into the future. It is a friendship where both people are invested in the friendship and are um, both opting into it every single day.
1: And why did you want to write a book about friendship?
2: You know, friend is one of these terms that can mean so many different things. And when we examined our own friendship um, we really did not see a vocabulary for, um, you know, what to call it, first of all. You know, a term like friend or even best friend didn't quite fit what we are to each other. You know, it's not exclusive, like we're number one friends. We are just two adults in in a long-running platonic <laughs> friendship, and we want to stay in it.
1: So I have to ask, and I know you've both been asked this a million times, but I'll ask it anyway. How did you two meet, and what were your impressions of each other at the time? Starting with you, Aminatu.
0: Um, You know, we met in Washington, D.C., actually. A mutual friend, uh, Daya Olapade, introduced us to each other, and um, she invited us to her house with the explicit intent of uh, setting us up on a friend date. And, uh, you know, we were both in our mid-20s. It was a very confusing time, but here we are now.
1: And how about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember being very excited to meet Aminatu. Dio had really talked her up to me, and um, I was not disappointed. We really had one of those rare meetings where you just click with someone and think, I really want to know this person. I really want this person in my life.
1: Aminatu, was that your response also?
2: Oh, absolutely. I remember very
0: distinctly that I loved everything Anne said that night. I loved the outfit she was wearing. I loved that she had a loud lipstick on. It was uh, truly, truly a memorable night.
1: (laughs) Wow. I'm wondering if you might read a passage from that first meeting, starting with you, Anne.
2: It's hard to remember who we were that night at Dio's house, before we were friends. Not only because it was a long time ago, but also because we have changed each other in countless ways, from the profound to the imperceptible. We didn't just meet each other that night. We began the process of making each other into the people we are today. Although we are self-confident enough to know that we would have been great if our paths had never converged, we cannot imagine what what that alternate reality looks like. It's impossible to untangle us. Amenata? This feeling of being an inextricable
0: is a hallmark of big friendship. As humans, we are all thoroughly shaped by the people we know and love. Day to day, our friends influence our tastes and our mood. Long term, they can also affect how we feel about our bodies, how we spend our money, and the political views we hold. We grow in response to each other in ways both intentional and subconscious. Behind every meet-cute is an emotional origin story, one that answers a deep question. Not how did you two meet, but why did you become so deeply embedded in each other's lives?
1: Anne?
2: We met at a friend's house is the superficial narrative we tell to strangers. But our real origin story is that we met at a time in our lives when we were both a little bit lost. We were both figuring out how to set a course for where we were hoping to go. And in each other, we found someone who already understood who we wanted to be.
1: We're discussing race in so many areas of our lives. Now, one of you is white, the other black. Did that shape your friendship in any way, starting with you, Anne?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think in the early days of our friendship, um, you know, speaking just for myself, I really um, clung to the idea that, um, yes, racism and race are things that are happening out in the world and everywhere, but our friendship felt maybe kind of safe from it somehow or um, or like it didn't really affect the dynamic between the two of us and you know as as we have gotten deeper into this friendship and had more direct and explicit conversations about the way that no relationship really is safe from these larger forces of um, the way race is perceived and and the way racism exists in our society it's been really clear that um, you know racism comes up between us all the time and and creeps into our relationship it affects you know how we're able to express ourselves to each other um it it really um has been at the root of some conflicts between us that initially did not seem to be about race and um these are all things that it really took writing a book together to unpack some of them
1: aminata
0: um, you know i feel obviously very similarly i think that um you know a lot of a lot of people would like to to believe that they approach all of their relationships whether it's friendship or not by coming just as themselves. And um, who doesn't want that just to be? Um, I just want to be I Aminatu mean, to, to the world. Um, but the truth is that, you know, we live, in, we live in America in a society that is largely racist. And so, um, of course, that is also going to seep into our friendship.
1: Here now is Gail in Washington, D.C. Gail, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Thank you, I'm Dale Brown and Kojo. I love your show i was I'm the first time I've on it, but I wanted to ask your thoughts about your friendship and about big friendship as if one of you got a chronic disease or dementia and wasn't able to reciprocate. in other words, how do you see it going forward and what happens if if there's a serious problem?
1: Aminata.
0: I mean you know in in our friendship, illness has definitely been um, uh like a hallmark <laughs> you know that we have had to we've had to contend with. I myself am a cancer survivor and also have chronic illness. you know I think that pretending that illness is is not um, possible in a friendship is definitely one way that you can ruin the bond that you have. I think that it is perfectly normal and that um as a society in general like we are not accommodating to that fact so I, you know, that is that is definitely something that all big friendships struggle with. I think that the, um, the solution is to address it and to have compassion with each other and not to pretend that it is not a possibility.
1: Gail, thank you very much for your call. And... The early chapters of Big Friendship are about the spark and the obsession, and we don't often hear those words in reference to friendship. They're typically used with reference to romance. Why was it important to show the power of this relationship and the effect that it's had on both of you?
2: Uh, You know, some of the experts we interviewed pointed out that that feeling, that spark feeling, as we call it, when you meet a new person and just, like, instantly feel that connection— the, the baseline feeling is the same, whether it is, um, you know, maybe a romantic relationship that you want to pursue or a working partnership or like in our case, a friendship. Um, it's really the meaning you make of that feeling later that determines where the relationship goes. And so for us, that felt so true. You know, um, sometimes it's not immediately clear how you want a person in your life. You just know that you're connecting. And that's something we both certainly felt, and, and we kind of got lucky in that what we both wanted was friendship. And, you know, it doesn't always go so smoothly if one person, say, wants a romance and the other person doesn't. Um, but for us, we were both aligned in what we wanted to happen after that moment of spark, and that is also exciting.
1: I mean, to, to ask the question you spoke of before, I wonder, how did you become so deeply embedded in each other's lives?
0: Oh, how much time do you have? <laughs>
1: good, no. Only you know, about 15 think, minutes, good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that, that that is a question that we are still asking ourselves. You know, some of it is definitely, um, there is truly like an element of kismet to all relationships, like something that you cannot really point to that is, um, you know, you just get lucky in that way. The universe brings you together. But I think that concretely, there are also choices that we made. You know, we both decided that this was going to be a relationship that we were invested in. And so we kept following up and we kept showing up. Um, A lot of the, um, some of the research that we cite in the book goes to how much time really um, you spend and how that correlates to how you call yourselves. In friendship, there are some magic numbers, 30 hours, 50 hours, um, 80 and 180 hours. Like we spent a lot of time together doing things and sometimes not doing anything at all. I think that also making our, um, you know, the rest of our community know that we were important to each other went a really long way. Like for a long time, we attended weddings together. We would give joint gifts. Um, and, you know, just like these very concrete markers that we were a unit.
1: And when you lived in Washington, D.C., you were in your 20s making far less money than you do now. How did that experience shape you and your friendship with Aminata?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, the passage that we read about the fact that we were both searching and both still trying to figure out how to have the life we wanted um, is really important, you know, and does does really speak to why we became close, um, you know, strategizing together about how we wanted to not only advance our careers, but, you know, the kind of relationships we wanted, the way we wanted to Um, be active about expressing our values in the world, the like clothes we wore. I mean, all these little details are things that we shaped together. And you're right, you know, not having a ton of money and not feeling fulfilled in our careers was part of the thing, one of those things that bonded us early on. Um, And it's been a real pleasure to, you know, collaborate and work side by side to both get closer to the things that we want from our lives, both
1: professional and personal. I'm wondering if one of the things you were strategizing about was getting the heck out of D.C. Because I must say, and <laughs> I must say what you, write, what you write about D.C. in this book is not entirely favorable. The city has also changed dramatically. Can you describe what the district was like at that time? <laughs> I hit on the I truth mean, there, didn't I? Go ahead. Well,
2: I think, I think that it's also important to say that, like, you know, every city is shaped by the kind of corner of it you exist in. And so, yes. you know, for me, um, you know, my my world in Washington, D.C. was, you know, this kind of young political journalist's world, which is not everybody's world in Washington, D.C., you know. Um, and so I think that that's sort of an important Um, important thing to remember is that, you know, it's, it's easy to um, make sweeping statements about a whole place. But in reality, I was kind of talking about my social world, my professional world. And, and that is, you know, what wasn't a great fit for me. Um, You know, I didn't want a full time job as a political journalist for the rest of my life.
1: How about you, Aminata? What do you think colored your experience of the city?
0: You know, honestly, I had a wonderful time in D.C. I wanted to move there when I was in high school. I made it happen. Um, But, you know, like Anne is very correct. It is a city that in a lot of professions is very transient. And um, I did not want to work, in you know, like adjacent to politics also for the rest of my life. So while I made some... Really incredible friendships there. I think DC itself is like such a sweet, sweet, sweet city to live in. Um, Professionally, when you are not fulfilled in your 20s, it truly doesn't matter where you live. Um, The angst is always there.
1: Here now is Gemma with, I think, a typical kind of Washington, DC issue. Gemma, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi, I'm Inahu. Hi, and thanks so much for being a part of this show. Um, I am calling from D.C., and similar to you all, while I don't love my life to revolve around politics, during this current era of police brutality, Black Lives Matter is very important to me. And I have deep friendships with people for whom that's not a priority. And I'm wondering if you could provide some suggestions about pushing those friends along.
1: Political differences in Washington, D.C., I'm not end. <laughs> <laughs> How, what advice can you give to Gemma, Gemma to maintain big friendships with people with whom she has political disagreements?
2: Well, I think for us, um, one reason our friendship is so powerful and longstanding is because we do have a shared values commitment. And so even if we may disagree about the best way to approach an issue in a kind of day-to-day or week-to-week way, in general, we share you know, a belief that like, you know, liberation is important. Like, you know, Black Black Lives Matter has never been a question mark kind of situation in this friendship. And and frankly, not not in, in any of my close, close friendships. And, you know, and I guess I would just say that this situation um, in, in my life has really been determined by how close I am to someone. And do we share some of those baseline beliefs? Um, because I think that, you know, it's possible for me to disagree about the means, but there are certain things that, um, you know, if, if we don't share a set of values, I think it's going to be very hard for me to actively claim a person and keep them in my life if they have not been there very long. So there's also this time investment. Um, and, and in terms of having conversations with them, I think, you know, for me, it's a non negotiable to have some more overt conversations with my friends and family members about, um, things that are important to me that, um, you know, I want to also be important to them.
1: Here's Thomas in Frederick, Maryland. Thomas, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hello, Kojo. I uh, just, I have never heard the uh, the term big friendship before, but um, I think that's a perfect uh, definition for my experience um, growing up in Montgomery County. Uh, my best friend, um, AJ, growing up, um, we, I, I say met, but I guess our parents put us together when we were two. And, um... We've been friends ever since, and I literally don't have any moment in my life where he wasn't there, um, and I, my, I didn't even have any um, memories. I couldn't form memories before that time, so <laughs> it's an interesting uh, term, and I really appreciate you guys talking about it. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much for your call. Indeed, Aminata, this book isn't just about yours and Anne's experience of this friendship. You interview experts in this book. What did you learn here about the impact of a big friendship, uh, or what did you learn about what the impact of a big friendship has on someone's life?
0: Uh, Thank you for saying that, Kojo. You know, I think that um, in sharing our story, we were not doing it because we think that there's anything particularly special about our friendship. We are doing it because we want people to recognize, um, you know, the contours of their own relationships. And it is an invitation to to a conversation. Um, You know, I think that we... What we heard over and over, whether it was from our own friends or from experts, is that so much of being a whole human being is taking account and is taking into account the friendships that you have. Um, it is just not realistic that, um, you know, emotionally you can burden just your family or your romantic relationships with the things that preoccupy you. And so just in this very selfish way, I think that thinking about friendship as a pressure, really like, a, a, like releasing the pressure that we put on other relationships is very important. It has, um, you know, there are like health implications to having friends. There are social and cultural implications. And it would really behoove us all as a society, to take it more seriously
2: as an institution.
1: And what is shine theory?
2: Uh, Shine theory is one of the operating principles of our friendship. Um, It is rooted in a phrase we have said to each other many, many times, which is, I don't shine if you don't shine. And it's simply a shorthand for um, showing up for a friend and investing in them the way you would invest in yourself. Um, and we often said it as a reassurance, you know like um, hey it 's not asking too much for me to spend you know lots of hours on the phone with you, trying to strategize this career issue, or you know it's it 's certainly something that I want to do for you as a friend and you know and broader than that it 's about prioritizing collaboration over competition and really approaching people in your life with that spirit, as opposed to seeing them as potential opponents, thinking, how can we work together so that we can each become closer to what we want?
1: And we, of course, have to talk about the podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. What changed when you and Aminato became not just friends, but co-workers?
2: Uh. I mean, it is a real pleasure to work with Aminatu, Let me tell you. Um, and in some ways, we had worked on little side projects before we started the podcast. We have always craved ways to get inside each other's heads and work together, or or be together in more structured ways. So the podcast didn't really feel all that different in the beginning from like you know little blogs we started together or things like that. Um, And it really has provided me a new insight into, you know, um, how Aminatu is as a working human, like how she lives her values in that professional space. And that's a, really different than hearing about that stuff from a friend. It's like I get to witness it in real time and benefit from it. And so in some ways it's really strengthened our friendship. It's like allowed us this new insight into each other. Um, and then in other ways it's like, you know, it is a distraction. You know, we also have a lot of work stuff that it some days comes before the emotional stuff of our friendship. And, and that can also be a challenge.
1: Well, An earlier caller mentioned Black Lives Matter. You have not shied away from discussing race on your podcast. I wanted to play a clip from one of your more popular episodes where you talk about Robin DiAngelo's white fragility. Here's the clip.
0: People who are not white actually talk about race all the time. It's like we're racialized people. And so I never realized that like that was not true for people who are not um of beautiful colors so it had just like never occurred to me
2: right the melanin deficient are often not culturally and socially pushed to think that this is an idea that they have to have any kind of feeling about whatsoever like this is part of what her work is about
1: how have listeners responded to these conversations aminata (laughs) you know i'd never heard that
0: clip before that is jarring um you know i i it's It's fascinating because we do talk about race as it affects the both of us, but I think that um, the audience is not often clued into that, um, you know, there is also a racial dynamic at play with uh, how they respond. I would say that generally people are very, um, you know, are very receptive to this kind of conversation. Because they get to eavesdrop on someone else modeling it for them, but I think that it would uh, it would not be true to say that it's always well received, particularly for me, um, where I get a lot of pointed commentary anytime race is discussed on our show, even though I am not the only person discussing it.
1: Here is Elise speaking of the long haul in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Elise, you're on the air. Go ahead, please.
3: Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, this book is, is definitely something that um, made me smile, and I'm excited to go out and, and buy it. Uh, my story is that uh, there are four women who we've been friends since we're 10 years old, and we're going to be celebrating our 70th birthday this year. Um, we've lived all over the country, um, sometimes all over the world, and we've managed to you know be there for each other of good times and bad times and, you know, being separated um, by distance. It never has interfered with our uh, our long-term commitment and friendship. Um, We were actually taking a really special trip this year, but we got uh, canceled because of the COVID. But um, we still celebrate each other. We keep in touch on Zoom and, uh, you know, being friends with, Three women um, for sixty years is um, is pretty special there really and i 'm
1: afraid that 's all the time we have, but that 's a long haul for you. I mean, Stowe and Ann Friedman, thank you both for joining us. This segment on friendship during the pandemic was produced by Julie Deppenbrock and our conversation about the D.C. Public Library was produced by Lauren Marco. Coming up tomorrow, what practices must be put in place before schools can reopen and how will the coronavirus impact the future of our education system? In our continuing series on education and the pandemic, we take a look at school safety with Dr. Lena Wynn and Montgomery County Health Officer Travis Gales. Plus, our private schools better equipped to handle in-person classes. That all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe safe. I'm Kojo Namdi.
2: The Kojo Namdi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Grannon, Lauren Marco, Kurt Gardnier, Richard Cunningham, and Kayla Hewitt. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Shrobstorp. Our engineers are Mike Kidd and Rashad Young. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org.